Hello, I'm Jeremy Eden. I'm Dan Eden. And this is 90 Under 90. 90 movies under 90 minutes. 240, 84 minutes we're talking about 2006's idiocracy written and directed by mike judge this is my mike by judge impression. you're doing by, your mike by, judge impression by, by me mike judge it's pretty good it's, uh, <laughs> i don't know why i felt the need to do a mike judge impression. i was uh he's a, he's a man who like he's got an imitatable voice but there's no reason to imitate him he's just a very calm like soft-spoken man who like keeps to himself it seems yeah i like him he's a nerd he's uh yeah you like you said very soft-spoken yeah it's like how they how they kick off blank check episodes and they're like oh, I'm, I'm surprised you chose that quote griffin for your your insert of uh podcast i'm surprised Jerry, that you went with uh with that voice instead of like an idiot voice or something like that i i, you know, like I will Dax say shepherd yeah, I well, I almost went Luke Wilson. I was just like, no, I can't. <laughs> it'll sound, it'll come out too much like Owen, and then I'll feel awkward about it. Um, I will say that the the you know I'm still a fan of the show, but uh, the, sometimes the bits on Blank Check are exhausting. Mm. Like, Have just I, I don't need this. If we're talking Blank Check, uh, you've been listening. Do you listen to some Raimi's? I did. Yeah, those I think like. I didn't, couldn't detect too many bits in the more recent episodes. No, it's just like that whole like shoehorning the podcast, doing the quote. Like I just don't like. Oh, that's their like I signature. You know? I know. I just don't need it. That's all I'm just saying. Just like the the but, Ben Haas uh, nicknames that he goes. I'm sure. Through. Yeah, I'm sure people don't need a lot of the shit that we do. People are hey, people are like, all right, enough. <laughs> like it's a different time. Like no one cares. We get it. They're gonna they're gonna miss it though. They're gonna miss it. That's they right. will. They like, I, I need Don Bluth in my life. Can we just have a sideshow with Don Bluth only? Yes, <laughs> of course I'd like to do a sideshow. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and this is kind of like a slight against us, but like, and I don't know if you agree with this, but this is like if Blank Check, if there were two Bens hosting uh, Blank Check, two Ben Haas. Why, why is that? Because, like, uh, I feel like Sims and Griffin have a more formal film education. Even though I have a film degree, my demeanor, my temperament is more similar to that of Ben Haas uh, yeah, with, like, the I, punk I, attitude. And, like, I don't take movies as seriously as these, like, those guys, you know? Yeah, I can't talk for three hours about every movie. Only only and, Blues Brothers and movies like that. I love that they're connoisseurs of context, and it's exhausting to be a connoisseur of context i realize to, to do yeah. all the re- but they have a fucking research department that's the thing they have a dossier that they refer to in their episodes and they have like th- like at least one or two people working to gather that information ahead of time we we yeah. don't have anything here guys we got nothing yeah just two dickheads with a microphone <laughs> 
That's why it feels like occasionally have friends talk to. (laughs) But that that's not to say that I don't love it. And I I think the audience, too, whenever Ben chimes in and kind of grounds the show on blank check so they don't get their heads up their fucking asses about pretentious shit. Yeah, Ben kind of grounds it, you know. No, you want to talk pretentious shit. It's it's the 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 air of uh, of superiority around the we hate movies guys when they talk about stuff that i'm them anymore Jupiter got on my nerves man i hear you well they've all kind of like well i like steven steven's my guy I, he was always he's my good guy. he's he's he always seems very fair in his critique in his criticisms nice guy yeah but, but chris cabin to me is just like you like you are leaning into the anger so much like he's the resident contrarian though that's expected yeah. almost of uh of cabin but jupin when he gets on a rant and it's like and everybody's entitled to an opinion and I know like we get off on rants about things that we that piss us off about movies and I'm sure that just makes the audience livid but there's been too many times where Jupin has made me livid about his hot takes in movies and stuff yeah yeah they they yeah they lean into the hate on purpose as their show is and supposed it's, to yeah it's in the title I've seen them live though that's not to say I I've, I've been a fan I just kind of stopped listening like hey here's Here's what yeah. we're saying is that uh, all movie podcast hosts get annoying at a certain point. <laughs> That's why we're ending. Uh, we're kind of limited. We're scaling it back. Yeah. Because yeah. we That's gotta. It. We don't want to become them. We don't want to. I like this. This is. I, a nice I would love to. Here. Love to become them and have the. Well, I know the a audience following reach. and everything. Yeah. I know we. Uh, Lord knows we tried. I guess. Uh, Aside from updating our quality, making it better, like, and then actually genuine attempts on social media more. Like, oh, I, I don't can't. Know, I, I fucking yeah. can't. <laughs> I hear you, man. Move, like, I got we got a movie to promote. And it's like, it's like I'm exhausted just thinking about all the posts I have to make for oh, every guy. Uh, yeah. I ever, if I ever make something on that level, like my own thing, I'm gonna hire somebody. I'm like, just <laughs> like I will build it into the budget. You need to do this shit. I can't fucking do social media anymore. I'm too cheap. But uh, that being said, write to yeah, us yeah. 90, 90 at gmail.com. And we'll... <laughs> um, okay, uh, so idiocracy, a movie that has been on my personal list. Even outside of the podcast, because I this is another one that I have never actually seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I always was just like, oh, good for Mike Judge making movies. Um, oddly enough, we did see Extract, um, but I yeah never saw this one. And uh, I was like, I, I need to I, I need to watch that at some point. And fortunately, we started a podcast that six years later would allow me to actually watch the movie that I've been putting off for 15 years mm-hmm. or longer, 17 ish. So what'd you think, Jer? It was fine. <laughs> like, it was it was, fine. It's uh, I don't know why it has gotten such a cult following. Oh, you, you can't understand why, even if you didn't like it that much. I, mm. No, honestly, it's I can't. Skewering, it's skewering humanity in such a way, in such a satirical, jabbing way that that so so many movies don't do. Like the only one I could think of of recent memory is maybe Don't Look Up, the Adam McKay movie that kind of didn't do so great on Netflix with right. uh, Leo. 
uh i i love movies like this because humanity is stupid <laughs> like really fu- and we're going downhill and i'm oh, kind of yeah. doom and gloom about it and like there's no mistaking it the idiots are reproducing and just like in the first you know seven minutes of this movie with the little vignette with the couple uh the smart people uh know better than to pro- no uh that's that's wrong uh it's just that people are like they're they're choosing not to procreate and the people aren't thinking twice before they they do like the wrong people are doing it is basically what's happening. Well, I'm not uh, I'm I'm not going to say that I haven't thought that there should be an IQ test before you're allowed to breed. And you eugenics know, like, is a very controversial topic, I know. So like that's that's, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I just kind of like because the satire wasn't like like I got it. It was a satire. I I, I understood everything that this movie was going for. It just didn't bite as hard as I kind of expected, which is odd because it's really making people out to be fucking stupid. But really? it just so, it it's something about it felt still um soft. And I, I don't know what it is. I think it's maybe just because like ultimately it didn't I don't know. I, I just I, I was I was never fully on Luke Wilson's side. So like not that he did anything wrong. I was just like I you have not given me a reason to care about Luke Wilson that much. His character so, at all. Yeah, I just wasn't really all that invested in his survival. I was mo- honestly the thing that's happening throughout this whole movie. Not mm-hmm. to jump too far ahead is the yeah. thing that ultimately doesn't happen until what I read is a post-credit sequence. I'm watching this whole movie being like, is Upgrade going to show up? I want to see Upgrade actually show up yeah, 500 yeah. years in the future. How yeah. is that even possible? I would like to know. I'd like to see that. They keep alluding to it, and they never do it until, mm-hmm. again, something that I didn't even see because I read it after the fact. That's I did right. not think at all that Idiocracy would have a mid- or post-credit sequence. I forgot about Upgrade's return because, yeah, I remember I've seen this maybe three times before this and I was like, I'm pretty sure Upgrade comes back. And then the movie just wrapped up. And I was like, OK, but yeah, now that you mentioned the, I didn't stay for the post credits. But yeah, that, like that's the bit is for those of you who haven't seen it. I don't know why you'd come here for the <laughs> to, to initiate <laughs> yourself with this movie. But Maya Rudolph plays a prostitute who also goes through time with Luke Wilson's character. Her pimp is named Upgrade. He's the one who volunteered her against her will into this military experiment so they could supposed to be launching forward one year. But due to circumstances that we'll get into in the plot involving Upgrade, the pimp, mm-hmm. uh, they they get launched 500 years later where, where humanity is stupid. Um, but she has these fears, even though it's been 500 years, that somehow Upgrade is going to find her and is going to beat her and take the money that she owes him. And that's honestly a, somewhat of a more interesting movie to me that like 500 years <laughs> Terminator future, with a pimp. like either robots <laughs> or like even just a team of like actual people who have oh been like God. waiting for this moment to happen. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he's long gone, but this legacy and empire lives on and their only mission is to kill her when she returns. Yeah, I know it's I not the movie that. that this movie is even describing yeah but, that's that seems way less satirical also than what we got here which was your your biggest uh maybe again, perhaps your biggest uh qualm i you can uh go the not sat- satire route i don't care True. i'm just saying that's the movie that interested me more and we didn't get that at all really which again, you're more interested is, in a pimp's revenge story 
that uh what we got just because it's 500 years in the future and i'm 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 honestly like what are they what does he have set up like i'm expecting like some sentries to just like like blast in and like you know take her hostage (laughs) that's not what we got in fact maya rudolph's subplot is mostly for the first half of the movie i mean once they get out of their capsules in the year 25 something thank you uh, she basically hustles this one uh, young Hispanic idiot who keeps giving her hundreds of dollars and hourly for days because eventually she promises sex. But she's like, uh, just wait a day for me and you're on the clock. She's like, oh, baby, I'll wait for you so good. And then eventually she gets pulled into the plot like like at the yeah. midpoint, you know. So, yeah, she doesn't have much to do. And, yeah, Upgrade is just kind of an afterthought and just a punchline to a bit that it is they kind of pull that string, that thread, uh, like at least five times in the script. Yeah. She mentions him coming back. And, and, and is that, like, I don't understand. Upgrade has been dead for years. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you always so stressed, Luke Wilson? Like, I don't have anything against Luke Wilson. In fact, uh, when I watch old school, like, I like him in old school. Just like he's so, and that's the thing. He like he's cast for a reason in this quite geniusly because he's so painfully average, you know. Yeah, he's it's Joe remarkable average. how how bland and uninteresting he is. I think there's room though for to love the 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 painfully bland and just nice guy yeah. average uh, dude, you know, basic. Yeah. Not I mean, for Jerry. Otherwise, we have no hope. There's got to be some spice in the personality, otherwise, uh, I like I get it. Like, um, there's no there's no real character development with uh, our main character, who by the way is named Joe. Like, there you go, average yeah. Joe, Luke Wilson. Um, he works as a, a military U.S. Uh, military librarian down in yeah. records. Uh, nobody ever comes down there. He has a very cushy life. Like, honestly, who can't relate to that? And I know, Jerry, you, you're you on your feet all day. You're, you're working fairly hard throughout your shift. Is that safe to yeah. say? Yeah. Most American dudes are sitting on their fat asses and, like, trying to skirt by because that's the American way, you know? So, like, yeah. I know that you most American Joes can 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 uh, project themselves onto Joe as they're supposed to do in this narrative and uh, mm-hmm. and relate to him throughout. But it ain't cutting it for Jer. I just the, it, it, like I don't need to relate to him. Like I get what they're doing. Like, yes, he's the mm-hmm. most average, boring person in the world, thus making him, you know, the perfect. I, I get that whole when they explain it like that's fine. Mm-hmm. I can uh, separate myself from that. It's just that I. I don't know, because there's no he's got the same tone and attitude the whole time that I'm just kind of like, do you feel any stakes like you don't like even your stakes feel painfully average and boring. <laughs> That's I, I totally get what you're saying. He is kind of one note and maybe two on a good day. But like. That's that's the guy you cast when you you need a supporting guy who's not going to overshadow your lead, i.e. like a legally blonde like him next to Reese who is like larger than life. You need like a Luke Wilson to kind of, I think you do next to her in this. You totally see why they cast him. It's just, um, I was going to say this though, to kind of lean into, to your perspective is, uh, you remember we were talking with Madeline is Jason Lee, a good actor is Luke Wilson, a good actor. I kind of put them in the same camp. I think you're, you're, that's totally fine. Yeah. Those two are like, they're nice guys. They're very average and they're, they're just like, 
sometimes average, they seem like bad actors and sometimes they seem like decent actors. Average white men who can't not act. It's like it, they, they can act a little bit, but sure. they also just have a high school production like delivery. Yeah, you know? it, there's yeah. something high school Even, play about their delivery. And I would argue, and this is controversial, even uh, Keanu has that. The only thing that's transcended that high school qual- is his looks and his edge. He's got he's the motorcycle bass playing rock star, scruffy, handsome. There's also there's, there's just an element of weird like Canadian weirdness to Keanu yeah. Reeves too. You know, like that's right. that's really all it is. It's just like this. He's got like a one percent of Nick Cage into in him yes. that like just yes. makes him interesting enough. Totally, totally. Like, yeah, he has to have that that slight peculiarity. Otherwise, we kind of lose interest in him. And that, like, I bet Luke Wilson doesn't really get stopped by paparazzi that often because he doesn't have that Keanu energy. Like, and and that's why it's so funny. We're now we're just talking about Luke Wilson, but to see him pop up in Scream Two when he plays Billy Loomis's analog, yeah, stab. (laughs) (laughs) Opposite Tori Spelling's uh, Sydney so good because he's just so like it's so satirical because he's so like bland and like i think wes yeah. craven even knew that the casting it's, of his own. and it, he's so bland that he doesn't project like owen wilson is like a fairly bland oh, dude yeah. too but oh. he at least projects funny you and, know like and, he's better and, uh, at handling comp- too like a sort of like like bad boy sexiness to to owen you know the at least young owen. bad boy there is <laughs> yeah 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 is who, who's who owen wilson is luke wilson is owen. just like this he's luke wilson is like mm-hmm. looking up to owen like i'm sure yeah I think yeah, he's yeah. Just, like he's like he's, looking up to his like my slightly take on- cooler brother my take on Owen, is, at least Owen, is um, I'm going to take your daughter out, but we're just going to we're going to stay out about an hour past your requested time. <laughs> like that's his his breaking the rules. Yeah, just just not a lot. Just like another hour or so, you know. Just, just, you know, just long enough that I still get invited to Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, like that charm, that Wilson. You know, his nickname's the Butterscotch Stallion. You know, a bad boy gets that nickname. Luke Wilson, his brother. I don't think he has a nickname like that, as far as I yeah. know. His his nickname is uh, Luke. <laughs> but you know, you know who's Studley it is Andrew in the third act as the, uh, the 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 gladiator guy who goes up against Luke Wilson in the arena. <laughs> <laughs> That's Andrew Wilson, their brother. Oh. Uh, he shows up in like he, at least he used to show up in um, uh, like Bottle Rocket. You remember he's in Hansel's corner in uh, Zoolander during the walk off <laughs> doing Hansel. That's Andrew Wilson. But like he's rocking like some cool like a beard and blonde hair. He's looking jacked. He's he's got a flamethrower. He's like really playing to the audience with like cupping his ear, yeah. like oh, <laughs> making like shocked faces. I like um, it. He's cool in this. So, all right, here's the the plot basically. Or you want to? How about a little history before we get into it? Because there, it's like, I think part of the reason why I hate to paint your your feelings towards it because you you know, but like the marketing, everything about this movie was swept under the rug, and I really yeah. I feel like it didn't affect people whatsoever when it came out. Right. I remember working at Blockbuster, getting it uh, pre street. And, and just being so excited because I had read for years on like JoeBlow.com or like the movie sites, Yahoo Movies or whatever, that Mike Judge really has this passion project about these 
this this idiot society, this large scale idiot society that's set in the future. And I'm like, how interesting, you know, how funny. And um, we finally get it. And it's so interesting that like some movies like that that are get made for years, like, for instance, Terry Gilliam's uh, Don Quixote movie, Don Quixote. Right. That movie got made. A lot yeah. of people don't know that. And, and, then, and then just it, it disappeared. Like that movie got made with uh, that, Adam Driver. Southland Tales that got made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another great example. Richard Kelly. Like these movies got made like Idiocracy is a prime example of like cult, like it was a cult. I mean, what I'm saying is it was a cult movie before it even came out on DVD. Like it yeah. was immediately a certain group of people who were uh, predisposed to like the movie just because they were so excited for it. And because it got such a bad rollout and because Mike Judge, the Mike Judge of it all, Beavis and Butthead, King of the Hill, if you right. like that, you know. Um, so, like, all that. Were, like, and, and now any – sorry, yeah. No, go ahead. You first. Any subsequent Mike Judge project I still get excited for. And it, like, even if it's uh, – his record is kind of steeped or whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's earned it, you know, like, yeah, Beavis and Butthead alone earned enough praise that I'm just like, all right, I'll see what you have to do. You haven't done anything so bad that I'm like, you're done. You know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of been a lot of a lot of sixes. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's average, what his career is. A, a lot kind of, of average. average dude. Yeah. But like, I think that's another reason why, like, because like Beavis and Butthead is perfect at showcasing idiots and making them funny while also being like satirical about the whole way that they behave. And I think that that's just like, because some of it is so far like into, it's almost like a step too far into them being idiots Mm -hmm. that I'm just like this. It doesn't read as funny as Beavis and Butthead are Mm -hmm. because they're just like too dumb. Mm -hmm. You know, like the way that like Dak Shepard's whole thing in this is like, almost insufferable to watch but I like understand. he he's he's he skirts by somehow i don't know how but i think the characterization in this movie is to serve plot more than character i think you're totally right because it seems as though the movie doesn't have time to get into a lot of character stuff i.e it was probably whittled down i'm guessing sure yeah some kind of original runtime where we got to flesh out this world a little bit more i would hope but I think you're right. I think it's just like the difference between Beavis and Butthead. This is large scale, i.e. this is the world being stupid. That's the difference between Beavis and Butthead. The only time you get that is kind of like a fantasy Beavis and Butthead episode where they run the world or something like that. Um, But yeah, you can definitely I I see what you're saying. Like it's in that vein, that Beavis and Butthead vein idiocracy. You know, Mm -hmm. it's about just flowing in the opposite direction generations of just inbred imbeciles you know yeah uh okay so history mike judge came up with the idea while he was visiting disneyland with his family and saw two mothers with kids in strollers fighting and cursing at each other he thought it'd be horrible if humanity was like this in the future he is a sensitive guy and i would argue like this is me projecting maybe deeply feeling artist mike judge sure you know Take that however you like um, to, to observe two mothers and come up with a whole movie idea about how we I don't want the world to be like these women. So I'm going to try and, and make art the way the only way I can through the, my dumb comedy 
and hopefully show my audience that, like, hey, this could be the direction we could head in if the world becomes like Disneyland with these two mothers, you know? Sure. Take that for what you, whatever it's worth. And uh, we, and not a lot of people took it for what it was worth. <laughs> but I think the right people did, and like they, they hold it, and they, they really hold this movie close to them, and they, they love this movie, you know? Um, I'm with you just a couple points more. I would say I am more than whelmed by this movie, you know? Yeah. I, I would I say really the, the thing that this movie does the most is gives me a reason to go, okay, I see why Terry Crews actually has, like, a career. <laughs> he's great. You know, because he's, he's yeah. actually really good in this, and it was early in his uh, movie appearances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is 2006. I'm like, oh, oh, he actually he's he's doing a thing. Like he's not just showing up, bouncing his titties, and like <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, to be fair, neither of us watched Brooklyn Nine Nine, where he got to be Terry Crews. Like, right, but I feel like at that point in like by the time that that show was released and he was cast in that show, Terry Crews was already somebody, and mm-hmm. like it, it like it was just cast into his zone and then they kind of like developed that zone more from there yeah you know like this is a movie that makes me go oh okay i see how you got other things because really like my first uh uh, you know exposure to terry cruz is the dude in click who's singing working for the weekend in the car like that's all got that yeah that's that's the first thing that i remember seeing him in (laughs) like who the fuck is that guy and then he yeah. showed up another thing. They showed up in Old Spice commercials, and I'm like, that's the same guy. Yeah, I don't think Sandler let him uh, stretch his wings quite as much as uh, as perhaps Mike Judge did, and even not today, enough, not that first time. Uh, I don't, I don't remember he did, uh, that movie Blended. I I, was, yeah, yeah, he's also like got a fairly large role in Blended, I believe. Yeah. Thing I haven't seen any Adam Sandler movie like except for like uncut gems post yeah fuck what is the last adam sandler movie i saw maybe chuck and larry is the last one that i actually gave a chance to wow everything else beyond that i don't think i, I know i didn't see zohan i didn't see jack and jill i've never seen a grown-ups yeah actually i haven't either i've seen bits and pieces of jack and jill i was like i was getting my blood drawn and i was like am i hallucinating because they were showing movies <laughs> like in the blood center and i was like what the f- this exists al pacino signed up for this Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about, and this is um, just like it talks, it speaks to the, the release of this movie. 20th Century Fox, they pussed out. They grew weary of the, the movie's critiques of recognizable corporations like Starbucks giving hand jobs <laughs> in the future. <laughs> or H&R Block, I believe. Uh, taxes and hand jobs, like all yeah, like full release, like all these companies. Um Studio executives wish to shuffle the movie to DVD shelves as quickly and quietly as possible. The movie's contract, however, stipulated it had to have a theatrical release. So this is one of those like stalemate things where it's 20th Century Fox like, fine, we will give you the bare minimum, motherfucker, because we hate what you're doing as an artist with your satire. We didn't think your satire was going to be this grading on our corporations. Uh, we're, fuck you, we're gonna put you in, like, ten theaters. I remember when this came out, dude, like, in, in theaters, I was, I was like, maybe I'll see Idiocracy this weekend. Nary a theater around showing Idiocracy. It was yeah. bad. Yeah, it was a, quite the small rollout. 
I remember the uh, the days of like indie movies being like shown on TV, like with trailers and stuff, and then like having to call movie phone. And then being like, oh, that's fucking 40 miles away. They're like the nearest theater is <laughs> in the city. Yeah. It's uh, I remember speaking of Keanu. I remember persuading my ex's dad to take us to go see a scanner darkly because the nearest theater was in Indiana showing it. And he was nice oh, enough because wow. he was a big Philip K. Dick fan. He took us all the way there. And what was really interesting about that is the theater was right. And it was in like a nothing town. The theater was right across the street from another theater. Wow. There were two theaters facing That's each other. wild. It was weird. I was like, what a day. You just go across the street if you want, you know, change the scenery, go to this other theater. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a double theater feature hop. in two different buildings, but only three minutes away. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay, so that's it. That's the history. We can get into the plot finally. So th- this uh, opens with a lot of exposition from a narrator, um, kind of like documentary style, because we're showing a lot of uh, kind of omnipotent. Kind of like uh, base. Basketball style. Yeah, where we're like, yeah. the there world is a place, and here's some things that happened in history and will happen in the future. Here's the state of things, basically. He says, um, talks about natural selection, how it's indifferent to intelligence. So, uh, i.e., a society in which intelligence is consistently debased, stupid, irresponsible people, they're going to outbreed the, the people who are more discerning. Uh, you're going to get uh, family trees, as we see depicted in this little quick little vignette here, uh, just growing and growing with idiots fighting like Disneyland mothers, uh, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, this um, whole first few minutes of this movie plays like its own like funny or die type of sketch almost. Where, like It's very isolated and it's it, it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked it. Um, you get. I don't even know the actor and the actress's name. She shows up on Parks and Rec as as one of those townspeople. I don't know her name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. She's like the she's the stuffy redhead who yeah shows up in town hall meetings all the time. Yeah, mm. and he was on at least one episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm as a His guy who wanted to, to hug Larry Fischler. all the time. Patrick Fischler. And oh I, yeah, he's just, also in in old school, isn't he? Yes, he is. It turns yeah, out they're the quite good at paperwork. It's quite an anomaly, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's such a he's a character actor who just shows up in a lot of things because he's he's got a look, you know. Let's face yeah. it, he's got a look. Um, and he's got like this kind of nice guy, kind of like cock energy. But uh, the woman we're talking about is Darlene Hunt, uh, who also sh- the Parkson, the perfectly cast, uh, just stuffy housewife. Marsha Langman. I think she's Marsha Langman on Parks and Rec. I think I she's I one of know. she's one of those townspeople who shows up a lot. But we get kind of mock doc style talking head interview. I'm sitting on the couch and it's over the course of uh, like 10, 15 years. But every five years we check in on them. They say it's just not logical to have kids. And we cut to intercut to another family. And it's like this white trash family in Alabama. And they don't even think twice about doing it and having a kids. And then uh, cut to another five years later. And uh, I think they're starting to do like in vitro, the yuppie couple or considering it cut yeah. and you cut back to the, the, the redneck family. And they're they've already had like 15 kids by now. And the kids are starting to consider having kids, if not having kids, you know, and it goes on a and lot on. Of, a lot of crossbreeding in this family going on, too. There's, there's and what's really tr- uh, yeah, gross. 
of course. Uh, what's really tragic is that in this little vignette, the husband has a heart attack while trying to donate sperm for insemination. And so his little picture on their family tree disappears and she's left with, well, I'm just trying to find the right guy. I have my eggs frozen, you know, thumbs up. And she just like looks so sad. And, you know, she's not going to have those kids and then cut to the, the hillbillies. And it's like the family tree just keep, just keeps popping up with little little. It seems that by rays. the time by the time we reach the uh, the present day of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, I believe that everybody would be related to this one family by the <laughs> amount that they have bred. Uh, let's just say there's a lot like, like jackrabbits out there and the wrong people, and that's what this opening narration is saying. And not only that, but culture has died. The number one movie in America is called Ass, and it's just a close-up of a bare ass, and every now and then it farts. And it also won Best Original Screenplay. Like, this is a bad... We're in a bad way. It's, it's really good. Fortunately, we'll be long dead before the world gets here. I know. Like, I honestly, Jer, when you were watching it, and uh, this is just Mike Judge's, like, calculated predictions, I'm going to say. Uh, yes. When you From saw that nearly it was, 20 years ago. When you saw that it was the year 2500, where you were like, whew, I'm going to be long dead. Because maybe I, he's right. I was more like, you know what? Humanity's going to be long dead. So we're <laughs> never going to get to this point anyway. The entire human you race really think will be that? gone. You think I that? don't know. I, I truly don't know. Look, we're talking about, we're, we're recording this after uh, a whole bunch of alien uh, secrets have been exposed and released. And, and Oh, gosh. Smoke and mirrors. Yeah, I don't I don't know if any of it is to be believed or not, but <laughs> my I I don't think that humanity will last 500 more years unless we wow. really make some changes. Wow, I drastic uh... change, and I'm fine with that. The planet will be here, the planet will be fine, <laughs> everyone will be dead, and then a new species <laughs> will rise up and be the dominant yeah. species. I just don't think it's going to be humans in 2500 Interesting. I don't know we what to have... think. We will have evacuated the planet by that point. That's ah, my there you go. That that makes sense to me. That's that I can like a wall. They, and there is similarities between this and Wally in that he, the, the narrator says humanity had no idea what to do with their garbage. Hence the famous garbage pileup avalanche of 2505, which Joe's character incidentally becomes part of. And that's how he is uh, freed from his capsule. But we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Um Okay, here's the story, all right? It's Corporal Joe Bowers. He's average, okay? He was selected as a guinea pig for this top-secret hibernation program through the military, and his handler is this weasley little guy who really ingratiated himself with uh, the pimp that uh, Maya Rudolph has. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what was his name? Upgrade. Upgrade. And and that's like the gag at the beginning. He's showing his superiors like uh, all the slides and all of like uh, the pictures he took with Upgrade, like with all the hoes. And like he becomes a pimp progressively throughout the photos. And they're like, just yeah. get to the point, you know. Very He's really proud. It was really going to spin a whole tale about how he got into this lifestyle. That's, that's funny. Like he says, uh, a pimp's love is very different from, from a, your, you and I. It's uh, it's a special kind of love. He's like, just get to the point. He's like, all right, but it's actually a very fascinating world. And what I love is and that then it's like twenty that slides it, that he clicks through. There's that, but what it ain't over because it actually intersects with Joe's story, doesn't it? 
and because once Joe gets into the hibernation program with Maya Rudolph, this handler guy who becomes a pimp with Upgrade, this white nerdy guy, gets busted. Him and Upgrade both get busted in a prostitution ring. Hence, the program gets shut down that Joe and Maya Rudolph are in. And that's how they end makes, up. It makes in no sense why they would shut down this program. Based, I mean, I, I, it's a government program. They would just fire the person and like. Mm-hmm. Of course, the government would cover it up. Yep, that's like the big scandal. Covering up the alien secrets for the last fifty to sixty years. Oh man, Area Fifty One. We open it up, guys. I want to see what's in there. I want to see what's in there, baby. Show us. Um, Twitter is now X. There's the aliens. Fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with anything, but Twitter is now X. Um, okay. So yeah, that's like that's the scandal, and you have to be on board with that. Otherwise, you like you're you're gonna take some points off the movie just right off the bat with the inciting incident. Like, wait, Joe Bowers, Luke Wilson got stuck in the hibernation chamber because his handler got busted for being a pimp. <laughs> okay, yeah. and he gets stuck for 500 years because the society just like basically demolishes the building he's in with Maya Rudolph. And their capsules remain intact. Nobody fucks with their capsules at all and just gets covered with debris. And then cut to over the course of 50, 100, 200, 300 years, garbage keeps piling up, i.e. just like Wally. Uh, it's very sad. It, everything looks brown and dingy and there's dust storms all the time and there's drought yeah. because they're watering their crops with a, a Brondo energy drink because that was yeah. with water. <laughs> the the world looks like the Super Mario Brothers movie, like the the dystopian like garbage this, hellscape and like sandstorms. I think what like so, Jared, maybe like the I think the sum of its parts is might be better than the whole because you I come back for this for like you're not gonna get so many ideas jammed into except maybe in the Simpsons when they show Bart in the future or something right. like that in those old episodes like. The fact that an uh, energy company didn't like competing with water, a natural resource, because it was yeah. fucking with their stock, and now we get energy drinks in their water fountains, is is such yeah. a great, rich idea. That's just one idea in this or movie. Or the fact that they bought the SEC and the, the FDA or whatever, and like, like yeah. three government bodies were purchased by a corporation. That is so – like, it's so predictably – satirically on point you know it's just uh-huh. like you don't get that anywhere I, else except matt grading's world you know well i mean i think you get less so like with future prediction but like you get that in south park you know and it's a lot more mm. biting when stuff like this happens in south park and that's they why got time, I just, you know yeah there's just something about um i guess it's just because there is there is a lot of uh, big ideas that aren't really, as you would say, they're not squeezed enough. They're not juiced enough. I understand that. It, there, There is a very – I'll agree with you that the movie feels rushed, and there is a very tip of the iceberg quality about this movie in that you're like, I, I need to see more about like what's going on in just Costco. Just that, we need to spend like uh, some time here and really flesh this out. Like what? Why is Costco the center of every? Why did Dax Shepard's character go to law school at Costco? Like I need to know more about this. Yeah. And instead, they're just there's no time. Like the story dictates, and Luke Wilson's character dictates that I got to get back to my present timeline. And it almost gets in the way. And that's the problem with some of these kinds of movies. Like 
it's like, no, nah, I'd rather just spend time with the satire. Like, I don't need this time travel story of him getting back no, to his yeah. timeline. You know, have him force him to adapt as opposed to escape. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. But uh, ultimately, this movie is just about his series of attempts of getting out of the clutches of these idiots' hands. First, it's the police, then it's the president, then like he solves the problems. But even after he solves the issues, they don't they still think he's a pardon my French, a fag, because that is a word you hear a lot in this movie. I'm only going to say it once in this episode. Um, That's like that's the biggest note, I think, about this movie. But like that's also a satirical joke about this is. Yeah. Like like, these idiots say say fag. Sorry, I said it again. Caitlin was half watching and she was just like, when was this movie made? I was like 2005. But you can tell that it's all like it's very pointed use of these words for like we're trying to showcase that idiots are using the word. You know, it's not it's not something that is uh, 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 supported. It's it's definitely an, an admonishment on, you know. Yeah. And anybody who anybody who relates to these characters and thinks like, oh, these you know, like Dax is cool. And if you you're an idiot, you're just an idiot if you do. Yeah, you know, and you are not the right audience for this movie. <laughs> right, like this movie is made. It's tailor made for smart people also who have the same kind of doom and gloom attitude that like me and my wife have when we have our coffee. And it's like, man, I don't know about this world. I don't know about this. <laughs> like it's the same. People have that sentiment. This movie's made for them. Like don't look up is another one of like I need that. I need a movie like this every couple years, please. Every sure. couple years, I do. And it doesn't need to be good. It doesn't need to be great. I would like it to be, but you know. Right. Yeah. Um. So there's that. Like it's just it's better than most other movies. I think you're gonna get. Uh. Well, that's that's a really broad statement, like most like animated, like just kind of cookie cutter movies that you're going to get like a dozen of in a a season, you know, you know what it is, too? Like, here's something that I'm realizing. It's that the movie itself doesn't present any real hope. It just offers Mm. like escape to the past, you know, and like there's this like there's this point where like Luke Wilson seems to be figuring things out. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, this is the where they're going to go, where he's going to literally change the landscape of the world that we have, you know, and like, like he's going to go from this painfully average, boring person to somebody who literally changes the world for the better mm-hmm. permanently. And we start to see that. And I think that that's, that's a much more optimistic filmmaker would make that movie yes. and not yeah. necessarily Mike Judge. and. I think that's more of a movie that I would have rather have seen is like go as hard as you want on the satire, but like give us something Some to be like, yes, at least at least they fixed it at the end, you know, because this yeah. world isn't getting fixed. And I also need to see these things happen in movies just to feel good about the world. I understand. Like we go to movies for escape, if not just for a little bit of hope at the end. Um, I'm not as concerned about that, but uh you know, like I don't like when movies kick me in the balls either, so to speak. Well, I didn't like, feel like this movie kicked me in the balls, though. You know? No, and that—that's the other thing too—is like a movie can be a kick in the balls too. If yeah. the movie wants to lean further into it and be like, "This is like the sad, fucked up, painful reality," and like we all have to walk out of the movie being like, "Oh man, like that's yeah. like I hope get out of my face," or like hitting him and stuff. Like, there's yeah. not a lot. And even logic and reasoning is met with. Like, oh, this yeah. guy's stupid. Like, everybody thinking that he's dumb. 
But that's exactly – we know that's the exact message that Mike Judge is transmitting to us is that someday the fear is that we can't have a civil diplomatic conversation with someone at Disneyland. If we have a disagreement, we're just going to be idiots and throw popcorn right. and fight with each other, you know? And that is sad. That's that's incredibly sad to think about. And I, I fear for that every year. Like more, That's why I want to go into isolation more and more every year because I feel like Mike Judge uh, kind of does – but it doesn't like again. It doesn't feel like as scary like mm-hmm. for us, the audience. You know, it just feels like oh, this kind of sucks for Luke Wilson's character. But like I, again, if you're not gonna, um, just like lean more into that. Like you know, if you're not gonna give us hope in the form of Luke Wilson solving everything for these people, then give us more despair that we can walk away from being like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> god know. damn. I don't know if I want that, but I see your point. Uh, Comedic yeah. despair. Or, you know, we're always trying to improve the product on this show in, in our own ways. And for this one, I kind of am scratching my head. It's not a perfect movie by any means. It's just hard for me to figure out the, the angle personally. You know what it here, I'll summarize it this way. It feels like a movie that was written by somebody who asked, oh, God, what if that happened? As opposed yeah. to somebody who's genuinely angry that this is the way we're headed, you know? Mm. It, it doesn't feel like it's written by somebody who's truly angry about this stuff. It makes it feel like, I don't know, guys, did you ever think about this? Like, yeah. That, it, it's it's more of a thinking man's angry satire. And yeah. And need more anger in the satire. I get that. I, I, yep. I can, I can agree with that, Jerry. I'd say there's, there's not as much bite. There's a more passivity in the writing that, that judge is responsible for. Right. And that is like, oh man, this shit, like, it's like, and I, this is me with my chip on my shoulder. Like, rich guys over here just observing from a distance what, what the world can look like. It doesn't seem to affect him too much. It is going to affect his character that is very much like a Christopher Nolan character, just kind of a, a pawn on a chessboard who doesn't, yeah. really, just doesn't even have a face, really, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, as you were saying at the beginning, like Mike Judge, seemingly a, a, a pretty sensitive person, perhaps a deeply feeling person. And it feels like it's written from a more sensitive place. As opposed mm-hmm. to somebody who is like barking at the world and like angry yeah. at how stupid we truly are. Yeah, I think it is. It's a it's a sensitive, quiet man's take. Like, hey guys, you know, like the, it could be like this, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things can be like this, you know. And that's not uh, that's not terrible, you, you, but that mm-hmm. little impression there makes me want to hear a conversation between Mike Judge and George Lucas, just like the two of them <laughs> having a, just a, like a bullshit conversation. Well, uh, the two of them I having. saw, I finally saw Idiocracy. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Really, uh, painted, um, really painted what I, I thought like, you know, I, sometimes I go to the mall. I, I, I don't know if you saw the viral photo of me eating at Panda Express, but I, I try to sit with the commoners just to see like, Oh God, this is what, this is what it's going to be. <laughs> See, that, I, I want even less less context to, content to that. It needs to be less. <laughs> just them, like I want the comedians in cars getting coffee level of conversation between. Oh the two yeah, of them. like just, just like, like what, just do talk, do? what do you do? What do what do you wake up and do in a, for a so living? I, I don't really care for cinnamon personally. <laughs> <laughs> just like well, a dumb fucking. Yeah. Who cares? Who gives think, uh, a fuck? I think milk is a little too spicy. Yeah. Milk I agree. Is too spicy. <laughs> I agree, George. 
Yeah, I feel like George and Mike are kind of not kindred spirits, but both sensitive artists who kind of who've decided to withdraw themselves to a certain degree from the society they live in, perhaps uh, with good reason, because they they see the writing on the wall. They see, you know, they've been to the grocery store. They've been on the freeway, you know, they've been to Panda Express. They know what it's like to be a normal person. Yeah. You know, uh, we just went to the movies and like. I felt uh, there's 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 people there and it's like and for someone who's uh, sensitive and to noises and stuff and like perhaps you your son and I you know it's uh it can be triggering just this world. oh yeah no, yeah Dude, that's why but, we sit off to the side with Jack because yeah. like, <laughs> this boy's going good to be strategy. standing on his chair at some point <laughs> literally yeah. sit down sit down sit down man. So Rita, like I said, she's hustling this young, uh, impressionable Hispanic gentleman who says, I can wait for you so good. And like yeah. he is. <laughs> and meanwhile, Joe Bowers, while he's getting checked um, checked in through the prison system, he uh, through a series of their hilarious automated uh, voice response machines. Uh, his name is marked down as not sure. Because uh, to answer one of their questions, that was his answer, and they took it as his name. It becomes like real fucking Abbott and Costello bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And Luke Wilson doesn't pull off the comedy, as far as I'm concerned. Man, going hard against Wilson here. I just I just have it. (laughs) I need I need more anger. I need more frustration out of him, or I need less of everything. And he needs to be more like bland and boring about it. He's just instead he's just kinda like this the whole time. Like I would love it if Darren Aronofsky, who is like made a career out of like kinda like Tarantino, like, hey Brendan Fraser, hey Mickey Rourke, I'm gonna make I'm gonna do something really interesting with you in a really interesting script and like launch you into Oscardom. That's what I want him to do with Luke Wilson. <laughs> I don't know anyone can. <laughs> He's that bland. But uh, that's what I'd like. But um, uh, he that's his name. Not sure. He gets checked into the system here. And that means like he's walking down the line and it's like they're separated into different sections. And it's the guys, the new arrivals are going down the the chain gang, so to speak. He looks out the window into the prison yard. There's this giant obese, like bald prisoner who's just sitting on another prisoner's face and he's suffocating. And you see him just struggling. And he he singles out Luke Wilson through the (laughs) window and, and he points down and says, that's you. Like you're next. And, he, and then what's funnier is like Luke Wilson reacts and then he cuts back and he gets his other friends in the yard to like point at Luke Wilson and go him. Yeah, that's the guy we're going to sit on later. So Luke's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. You know, I like there's also part of me that like watched the scene and like thought it would just be funny. And I could see logically the idea that they're not they don't even actually see anybody. They're just pointing in hopes that somebody is actually looking and seeing, you know. Yeah, like they're just look like they're looking at their own reflection in a mirror or like in a window because they can't oh, quite see through it. And they're like, yeah. I hope somebody's on the other side there. I like the idea that they like singled out him specifically. It is funny, but like you ever do that, like where you do something and you're just like, you, you don't even know that somebody is actually looking at you, but you do something weird towards a window. Or something. Or am I the only little, fucking freak who no, does no, weird no, no. things? It actually it happened in a movie recently where someone uh thought like they they were just looking at their reflection in the window i think it was daniel craig in road to perdition like he just spoilers he murders tom hanks's family uh and as he's leaving 
the the son he's just arriving like after the massacre so they're crossing paths right Daniel Craig, like, you think that he sees the boy through the door, and he's like, oh, shit, he's going to cap this boy. But he's just looking at his own reflection, and he just, like, adjusts his, like, hair. It's a very tense, effective moment. And that, uh, like, uh, I feel like that happens a lot with me, where I'll be, like, looking in, like, a reflection in, like, a glass, like, uh, in a car or something. And, like, maybe someone's behind that window, (laughs) like, (laughs) staring at me. Um, Yeah. But, um... Luke Wilson, he he just like just like the Canadian prisons and Family Guy, he's able to pers- verbally persuade the guards to just like literally walk out of the jail because the guards are so stupid. Yeah, uh, he says I'm supposed to be leaving today. He's like, you dumbass, I'm supposed to be over there in that line. Let the dumbass through. And like, as he's getting checked out, there's a guy who, like can't scan him or whatever, so like. Or you can't find. He's like, you're not supposed to getting out today. He's like, go check the files behind you, and and he just like leaves as the guy's back is turned. Like this is what we're dealing with here, idiot. It's just, just runs away. Real it's fast. It's a real idiocracy, if you will. You know, it's almost like people got really dumb. Yeah, kinda. But um, Pendejo. Okay, so not sure. Luke Wilson makes his way back to Frito's house. This is the same place he crashed. His very lawyer who fucked him over. I wouldn't do that if I was Luke Wilson, but I guess that he doesn't have many options. It's another another uh, uh, sign of a low budget movie is returning to one <laughs> fairly large set location. Absolutely. How many, how many how much times can we use this? Absolutely. We're gonna milk this baby just like a turtle. See turtles for that. Reference. Um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, Pendejo, Frito, basically says, all right, your goal of the movie is to get to this uh, time machine. Once he makes it apparent that there, there is one, and it's like basically across the city. They have to, quite a journey to get there. Um, they have to go through a Costco to get to that time machine. So it's like, hence, here we go. We're off on our journey, and the cops are after us. Like, literally, they're knocking on Frito's door looking for Luke Wilson saying, and this is their bit. They do. The cops say particular individual a lot in this yeah. movie, and I love that. That's a nice little touch. Like there's there because there's always such this faux formality when it comes to cops' cadence and speech, right? Yeah, I, I need oh, you to exit this vicinity, sir. Like, ma'am, like that sort yeah. of official talk. Yeah, uh, suspect was found. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. This particular they always, individual, they, they're they're always talking like the written report that they have to inevitably yes. file at the end. Exactly, exactly. Maybe that's like now that they have body cams. If I was a smart, efficient cop, I would just dictate it into my body cam as I was going. Like, got the perp here. Yeah, well, the fucking you do cop would actually have to have it on first. Oh, boom, boom, Jer, boom. See, see, now that's that's a that's a some perspective of anger. That Mike Judge doesn't have in this movie. I, uh, you're right. I don't think Jer. I don't think Judge is even capable of that level of anger. Like, because you think about Extract, which is not a satire, but it has it has a satirical look at like suburban house life. It has uh, like some corporate uh, takeover is happening in that movie. So there is some you could there's room for angry satire. And he doesn't. He makes it a sweet kind of like little like dramedy about a guy who wants to have an affair with his wife and justify it. Like that's yeah. the whole movie basically is ext- extract. And Mila Kunis is a hustler. Like meanwhile, that's happening. It's a very <laughs> weird movie. Um, 
But like you're right, like even Ben Affleck uh, is playing Kevin Smith in that movie. It's weird. Even even uh, yeah, <laughs> even uh, Beavis and Butthead. Like the meanest things they do are often by accident. It's not really done with too much malice, you know. Right, but that feels like in line with the with the characters, you know. Like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like that everything is just kind of like them bumbling through, not knowing mm-hmm. one way or the other whether they're causing destruction or not. They're just yeah. too oblivious to it. And then Silicon Valley, I don't even know. I didn't really watch that show, but it just seemed to me like a smart adult Mike Judge uh, Big Bang Theory, right? <laughs> like that's all that's, it seemed like to me. Uh, startup company, we're nerds, and uh, we talk like nerds, we act like nerds. I don't know. You get Once, once you tell me T.J. Miller is a prominent cast member, uh, I pretty much check out. For me, it's uh, the deal breaker is, is Thomas Middleditch. I'm not a fan of that guy. Yeah, he's he, yeah that too. Yeah, but you know who was in it though is uh, who is uh, Gabe Zach? Uh, what's his last name? Zach there? Woods. Yeah, he's in Silicon Valley. He's great. I like him yeah. in pretty much everything he's in. As like the he's, dork. He's also very good, but also kind of one note. He, he exactly. He popped up in this movie I saw. Oh God, what was it called? Not Take This Waltz, but like. Something like that. It started Alison Brie, and like I was like, this is a nothing movie. I can't even believe this exists. But she like plays an Olive Garden assistant manager who wins a contest to like get cooking con- like classes in Italy. And the guy who's like throwing it is like this world renowned like chef guy played by Billy from Jurassic Park Three, who like is just throwing it to seduce, like basically do like a bachelor type setup. And then Tim Heidecker shows up in it as one of the chefs, and Zach Woods shows up as one of the other. It's the weirdest, like, nothing movie I've ever seen. It sounds like, like, like it's amazing that, like, you described a movie that I'm just like, how did anyone pay for this movie? <laughs> Who cares? Um, how are you pitching this movie to somebody? Who's, who's Indies, you know? Who's yeah. the one who's really, like, backing this story? Or is it just like, oh, we're backing Alison Brie? Uh, you know, I think Jeff Baina and Alison Brie must have some kind of exclusive deal because they made this movie Horse Girl for Netflix, which is another weird one. And the movie I'm talking about is Spin Me Around. I think they found like a weird indie partnership. But I know like it, it, it I don't know why I made that digression. So I apologize. But uh, I'm all over the place. Where are we with this? Um, they, they're, they're off to find the time machine, right? Yeah. And uh, so, okay. So Bowers makes a deal with Frito. He says, I'm going to go back in time and open up a bank account in your name, Frito, and I'm going to put $50 in it. And by the time 2500 gets around to this present day, it's going to have billions of dollars in it. He goes, Really? I like money. Yeah. But we're also like in a point where inflation has gotten to a point where like billions of dollars isn't even <laughs> that much money, you know, like yeah. they're depo- like it's costing like three thousand dollars for like really inexpensive stuff, you know. And, and Have you have you seen the meme and like I hate to get real, but like there's like a meme going around. I've seen it on TikTok and other things. It's like no matter where you go, every errand now is a hundred dollars. If you leave the house, it's going to cost a hundred dollars now. And like no joke, like just on Friday within three hours, I spent a hundred dollars just like leaving the like running errands. Like yeah, 
It's insane. And I, I thought of The Simpsons when they go to see um, the Itchy and Scratchy movie in the future and they eat Soylent Green at the theater. But the guy charges for the tickets and it's like, that'll be like $375. And Homer goes, yeah. oh, like that is I, like you laugh. We laugh. But that is the future, man. I paid $30, I think, almost for my popcorn and drink at Turtles. Oh, today. yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's nothing new. But yeah, it's fuck. <laughs> things things are getting expensive. They really are, man. Um, so yeah, good point about the uh, the inflation. So that's his anyway. Like Frito's too dumb to really know the the mechanics of that. So he's he's cool with joining him because he likes money. But um, the real obstacle throughout their journey is getting scanned. There's these random tattoo scanners all over, especially when they get to Costco, which is like the epicenter of not only commerce but like also education and and sexuality because they're one in the same now at least commerce and sexuality with this uh like i said hand job starbucks thing going on which is a a real bit in this movie um, look i've got no problem with the corporatization of hand jobs okay if you want to <laughs> if you want to get into a hand job business you can find a way to make sure. it sanitary why not make the the world's oldest profession like kind of the newest, most cutting edge profession in America? Right. That's all it takes <laughs> is just somebody with a marketing spin on prostitution and uh, sex. That's what I think. Like that's why so many people became Trumpers, Jared. Like they thought they thought that was the promise of like Trump's America, <laughs> Starbucks hand jobs. You know, they we were wrong. But if we just let him, we were promised thought, Starbucks hand jobs. If we just gave him a shot, though, Jer, an honest to God shot, then we probably would have gotten those by now. But we're, we don't. <laughs> anyway, I can't even joke about that for too long. But, um, you know, be careful what you wish for also, because Biden, <laughs> you know, I don't I, maybe I'm talking out of turn here, but I don't think he's that great of a president. <laughs> OK, anyway. <laughs> The lesser of two evils. Uh, <laughs> this is a real hot take here, but uh, I think Trump's kind of mean. Um, so hot, I, I, even hotter take, but politics are just kind of like, what? they're just crazy. I just, I think, yeah. Oh, I don't know. If you actually, cut that. I should out. cut that. I should probably yeah, cut, cut that. that out. Mark that down. People should, people should yeah. hear that. Yeah, I might incite but, another another January sixth. <laughs> oh. By the way, never mind. I can't. Um, <laughs> we got to get out of this. Yes, yes. Uh, okay, this all culminates in Bowers being taken to the White House instead of jail. So once they get scanned at Costco, they get separated from, uh, by the way, her name is Rita, right? Yeah, Rita's the yeah. prostitute, Maya Rudolph. Looking good, by the way. Like P.T. Anderson, I get it. <laughs> I get, like, yeah, this, is the, this is the first time I've ever been like, wow, she's actually a very pretty lady. Like she and, and I've never thought she's like ugly. It's yeah. just like I've I've never been attracted to Maya Rudolph, nor yeah. unattracted. I'm just this is the first time I was like, oh, look at it's you, got you, it you going got a face. on. You got yeah. a nice face. Um, Luke so Wilson, uh, on the other hand, I'm like, you, you still you look like you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> average, perfectly you average. Look, you can't say it looks bad. Before. Can't say it looks bad, but. They get separated from Rita while she goes to take a tinkle, right? And uh, so she sees them get taken away, and she goes, oh, oh, she sneaks off, right? So she's going to do her own kind of plan to reconvene with them later. But meanwhile, there's a crisis happening in this idiocracy, this world, this land, that uh, they are confident that Joe Bowers, Luke Wilson, not sure, is going to take care of, uh, i.e. the Dust Bowls, 
that seem to be happening, the food shortage uh, with the crops that just cannot seem to be growing anywhere, and uh, the crippled economy. So there's a big meeting, and it's just all chaos. There's a there's a very wrestling WWE entrance for President Camacho, played by Terry Crews. Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho, by the way, is his <laughs> full name. <laughs> <laughs> I like and uh, he comes out and he has to shoot his rifle, his automatic, just to get the crowd to stop uh, heckling him. But once they do, he promises, like, listen, y'all, I got a plan, all right? And it's all in this guy right here, Joe Bowers. Not only is he going to solve the dust bowl, he's going to fix the crops and this and the economy. And he's going to do it all in one week. <laughs> and everyone, like, loves it. They go crazy for him. And Joe's like, oh, shit. Like, that's a lot of responsibility. You think that's going to be, if this was a not rushed product, there's a lot of time to be spending here at the White House, yes. all these subsequent scenes. This is the meat of the movie, and we only spent 10 minutes Right, that's, this that's what I'm saying. Show me more of this. Of Give me mm-hmm. this more the angle of him figuring shit out, mm-hmm. adapting to this world raising them up while also like bringing himself down to a level that makes him understand like his purpose and all that shit. Like you got a you got a movie yeah. there. You don't need to go to a monster truck rally and, and, <laughs> and take it in another direction. It's uh, but it's almost like he's thinking like an idiot, like monster trucks though, Jer, <laughs> we got to get to the monster truck rally. It's true. Maybe I'm too stupid for the movie. Whoa. But another I wouldn't say this movie falls under the weight of its premise or anything like that. It 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 has it's supporting a lot of stuff. It's just like it's a house made of little sticks is what it is. There's not a lot of foundation going on yeah. here. But the, the movie I was gonna compare. Wolf's to, gonna blow this house down. Yeah. We're gonna, huff and puff and we're gonna have to is, run over to the brick house. The, now, this is not a brick house, the movie I was gonna compare it to. It's more like a straw or a stick house from those other piggies. But uh have you seen the invention of lying? Uh, no, but I remember the movie and I remember you saying the same thing of just like, they could have done so much more with this premise and it does not do what it should have done. There is a movie that like, by the third act, you're like, so this is where we're going. Like, this is where we've settled for the third act when you, you could be, we could have been doing so much more. I, I think there's a lot of, it's, it's a lot harder than it seems and all to the credit of the writers and stuff. When you have such a big universe you're fleshing out that no one has really tackled before uh, in such a way, you, you – I don't know. You slip down a little rab- – a monster truck rabbit hole. Like you I do. Think like, just to when end it. The higher the concept, mm-hmm. the, the smaller the story needs to be. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to – like because you can – when your story itself is very small, you can mm-hmm. explore all of those Dude, where's my car? Big, big. So they go all over the place, and it's just about them finding their car. I, I get what right? you're saying. Yeah. Liar, liar is just like, like mm-hmm. I have to go play baseball with my son. Like that's, the, you know, that's the plot of the movie near the end. He's got the big Jennifer Tilly case too, but that like seems like small potatoes. That's like kind of in the background of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. The 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 meat of the story is. You're right. What's yeah. Yeah. You know. Um. I think there's something to be said there, like like big post-apocalyptic world. We need we need we don't want bird's eye, although that is very very tempting. And I'm gonna agree with you to a certain degree because it is very it's so tempting that I would like to see that in some products and in others. You really should get uh, micro and not macro. And uh, The Last of Us seems to be doing that 
like taking that cue, Jer, that this is our big post-apocalyptic zombie world, but we're just each episode is just little. We're just getting so micro here yeah. that you would even forget sometimes that the zo- there's a whole army of zombies and millions out there, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it, I think writers are. I think the smart ones are getting more invested in that sort of storytelling. This one though, it's like it's too delicious to like. Well, we, we big giant Costco over here and the prisons. What about the prison system in this idiocracy? And what about uh, the, I mean, surely the the crops would be bad, right? Because these idiots don't know how to raise crops. Like so many thoughts that so you have to put them all up on the whiteboard. And it's just like, how do I conflate these all into one story and do it succinctly and and you know uh, maybe thematically tie it all together and uh it's hard but so what Honestly, we get this is movie, it, it could <laughs> have and probably should have just simply been like he's unscannable mm-hmm. he's gets arrested mm-hmm. for that and he doesn't know what's going on they sentence him to solve like a whole laundry list of problems and it's literally just him like okay i, I guess i'll try to figure mm-hmm. out this problem and like we get that like for very brief but it should just be like it, we should get an entire second act of him doing crew, this. yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. It's, it, for some reason, I thought of Mario Sunshine because Mario's sentenced to cleaning up the island. <laughs> I love that game. Um, but yeah, like that's I that's played that game. <laughs> it's more I try. focused. I try yeah. all the time. You're it like you like the idea of Sunshine quite a bit, right? Yeah, I I, I feel like. Th- I feel like the only way I can actually play Sunshine and make any progress on it is if I have some kind of cheat that does not yeah. drain my flood pack. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I need oh, a cheat. That, I'm on my favorite level, the one with all the, the many goopy manta rays at the hotel. And I was like, this is what I've been working towards. And I'm stuck. And I like I turn, I haven't played it in months and months. And I got so mad at the game. Never right. has there been a game where I have such a love-hate relationship with then probably Mario Sunshine. Yeah, I, but, uh, I hear you. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, I want to I want to love it and I can't help but hate it. <laughs> so Bauer is like we get he, we get the mini version of what we want, which is um, he takes a quick look at the crops in the field. Uh, he sees that they're being watered with quote unquote watered with Brondo. Like okay, put two and two together. We need water. It's like like in the toilets, like that's. But it's got electrolytes. <laughs> that's another joke. That's uh pretty good. It's got electrolytes though. Um, that's when we find out the FDA, FCC, and USDA is bought by Brondo, and that's like the whole. That'll solve your dust bowls. That'll solve your food shortage, and subsequently probably your economy. Um, uh, at least a good chunk of it with this Brondo problem. <laughs> like it's really easy to point the finger at Brondo in this uh, narrative and say that yeah. they kind of <laughs> fucked up history, you know. But uh, that's when we get, speaking of rushed, a basically a Zoom cameo from Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. <laughs> who's like the CEO of Brondo or something, and their stock has now plummeted because guess what? The, they, they've replaced uh, water instead of Brondo in the irrigation system, and that's going to help the crops. They just got to give it some time, you know? But Thomas Hayden Church, you know, doesn't like that. He's like, our shareholders, our stocks are plummeting. There's massive layoffs. We're lo- layoffs. We're losing money. We gotta fix this. <laughs> and, uh, they're like, oh shit. Uh, Bowers, this like, and here, Jer, like, it feels like there should be 
30 more minutes before we even get to this monster truck demo derby. I can even pinpoint the moment in the narrative. It's here. Mm -hmm. It's the stock plummeting of the Brondo thing. It's the conflict of the Brondo that needs to be like really kind of more stretched out. But no, Bowers is immediately sentenced to die after Thomas Hayden Church calls it and says we have a real fucked up problem here with, with this Brondo stock. It's a monster truck demolition derby. It's Thor Ragnarok shit. Like it's like yeah. <laughs> Sakar, you know. Uh, he's pitted we need, against. We we need Jeff Goldblum showing up and talking about how sparkly Luke Wilson is. <laughs> what do you think about how much time, money, effort, work went into the giant dick-shaped drill that doesn't fit through the doorway? Like they didn't need to do that gag. No, that's funny. I mean, I don't know how much money and time it costs. I have no idea, but I do like it because it's yeah. just like this. This went nowhere. They have to, for context. There's uh, the Beef Supreme, the rehabilitation officer. Um, they have an oversized truck, but it, it's so big that they couldn't even fit it through the, the doorway of the arena. And it like breaks like the whole wall supporting it and it crumbles on top of the car that this thing that they spent so much time and money on in this and terry cruz just says just like keep it going keep the show going and they just forget about it it's like in the return of spinal tap where they do have a full-size stonehenge but they can't get it onto the stage because it's too large is that like that's um is that like this is spinal tap or is it more like a concert no, it's, movie it's with much more of a con? It's a concert movie that it cuts to way to some Spinal Tap moments. That's too bad. I think a full fledged actual sequel would have been. Uh, well, they're they're making it like I, I don't know where they they stand on it now, but that movie was supposed to come out like next what? year. Or the year. Yes, they're making a Spinal Tap too. They announced it. What? Because they have to when do something with the characters that? every few years. To keep oh. the cop there. I'll bet you I, it's actually questionable whether or not they actually will make it, but they've uh-huh. announced intent to make it, and that kind of like <laughs> extends their copyright a little bit. Right, so right. Wow. I feel like they will do something that they will just have to do with the characters, lest they lose control over That's them. That's kind of sad, kind of cool though that they have no choice but to at least say they're making another thing i think it's great i think it, like you know and it just it, it also because it's also like whoever's twisting their arm to be like we need more spinal tap shit like they can always be like yep yep we're gonna get to it <laughs> they just yeah like, yeah maybe they'll it's, just like they could probably be like maybe we'll die before we get to it it's almost like it keeps them active like they have no choice like i wish uh maybe some filmmakers were like that who haven't made a movie in like a decade you're like no you have to make a movie every like three years you have to look you're gonna lose your filmmaker's license (laughs) and you're not gonna be able to direct anybody ever again get kicked out of the guild man and uh wait till the director starts due to inactivity can you imagine if now we have the wga we have the uh, sag what have the fucking DGAs strike also like? I, I think I think Hollywood just goes away at that point. I don't yeah, think that I, I don't think that there's ever I don't think entertainment exists anymore. It's just <laughs> we are all meant to entertain ourselves. I'm kind of ready to let it burn, but like at the same time, it's weird because you got Barbenheimer weekends. So like studios are like, I guess we're doing all right during these strikes but hey those movies were made before the strikes well, the, the best part about it is that the studios learn the wrong lessons from all of these 
movies, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's like, they're going to get a Barbie two and three, which is like, oh, I don't yeah. know much about the movie, but it doesn't sound like it really warrants a Barbie two or three. I'll let you get know. shit like Saw Patrol where they like, well, we got to combine oh, yeah. two movies and, and make that the yeah. push. Yeah. We, we talked about that last week. Uh, briefly with Rick, but yeah, I, I I know what you mean. I think they're just gonna be idiots about her, like boomer acting like Id- old idiots. Like you guys like this, let's shove it down your throats. Huh? Like no, we like uh, good movies. That's all <laughs> objectively good movies. But no, I'm seeing Barbie uh, Tuesday, so uh, I hope it's good. Um, Mattel okay, learning so, the wrong lesson from from Barbie's success. Be like, well, we can make all of our toys into movies. No, that's I not know. what we're saying here. I know. I don't need a Stretch Armstrong. And they were threatening that when we were kids. A Stretch Armstrong they, movie. They, they've never not been threatening that. <laughs> uh, so the Monster Truck uh, demo derby. Um, uh, Luke Wilson's got some moves, like some, albeit some superhero moves, because like first he gets on a pile of wreckage to get to the swinging microphone so that he can tell everybody in the audience who are like, want blood that uh, he's actually a good guy and that he, he never called himself the smartest man in the world. They did. So all he wanted to do was help them. And he's just trying to be earnest and everything. And they're just like, fag, you know, like, just kill him. Ha ha ha. Andrew Wilson is like really like getting the crowd going with his his awesome crowd work and his flamethrower. And Luke Wilson is like swinging on a mic and um, eventually he's about to get toasted by Andrew Wilson. But uh, meanwhile, uh, one of the live cameras from this very demo derby like or somewhere, I think it's the demo derby because there's a feed going to one of their Jumbotron monitors. It gets taken off site by Frito, and he goes with uh, the O face guy from Office Space. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. Oh, oh, and they go to get hand jobs or like sex at Starbucks, and they he forgets why they have the camera, but the the reason is to go to the crop field near that Starbucks so they can show everybody on the jumbotron that there's actually crops being grown. The water worked, so Luke Wilson was right. They're just dumb and impatient, and Brondo sucks, and is just yeah. an evil corporation. And uh, the truth becomes pretty clear uh, just before Luke Wilson gets killed. Uh, Rita kind of helps facilitate that. She persuades like a really chubby, heavy set uh, camera operator in the machine room to go out in the hallway because there's whores out there, which allows her to switch to the you know the feed. And uh, that's when Camacho sees that. And he grants Bowers a presidential pardon just before uh, he gets toasted. And he, he falls on Andrew Wilson and collapses on him. And uh, I guess they're cool after that because they're at the after party. And uh, you know, they're drinking. <laughs> they're all having a good time on the front lawn it's of the fine. White House. Camacho says, I have another decree. This guy, this guy right here, not sure. He's my vice president. And everyone cheers. But Luke Wilson's like, I got to get back home. And uh, he's like, what? Why you want to go back home? He's like, guys, you know, I got I got a life back there. And Maya Rudolph's character, she wants to stay. She feels like she can get a fresh start away from upgrade, perhaps uh, here in this uh, this timeline, you know. And how great you know, was it that he showed up right here? He's the final <laughs> obstacle. I was waiting for him to <clears throat> yeah show up like right here at the end. Yeah. But uh, instead, uh, I, I forget what prompts 
Bowers to stay. It's just like he's made vice president. He takes a look around and just kind of has a, a change of heart. Or no, he realizes that the time machine is a uh, is like you know not a time machine. It's so a that toy. Helps. So basically, yeah, <laughs> kind of has no choice. Yeah, but he he frames it like you know what I'm gonna stay. I, you know, you guys really won me over, and uh, I hope I can win you over. And uh, yeah. I'll be the vice president. He flips everybody off because that's like their greeting, you know, their their formal greeting, flipping the bird. And that's when we get that bookended narration, baby, where they say, and he married Rita and they had three of the smartest children ever. And Frito had married eight women and had 32 of the world's stupidest children ever. And the kids are running around like idiots on the lawn. Luke Wilson just kind of looks at him like, well, that's this life. life. Cheers. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie, basically, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Until that post credit scene that we didn't stick around for, where Upgrade yeah. steps out of a third hibernation capsule and set, sets off in search of Rita. <laughs> that that's is, like, like, is great for multiple reasons, because, like, I would assume uh-huh. that Mike Judge did not plan for any kind of franchise or or like sequel right. like i i feel like it's a throwaway joke mm-hmm. i like when movies throw their ending to a movie that probably won't ever happen and they know it you know like yeah like it, it it's almost yeah it's like uh how arrested development had the on the next arrested development and they wouldn't have that scene on the next yeah. episode yeah it's kind of it's, yeah, it's a nice little tidbit. But I, I now that we talk about it, I think I would have welcomed a, a sub subplot where Upgrade is kind of the heavy, and he's making his way to Rita as our heroes are doing everything like basically that they're doing in this plot, except he intersects with them in like the third act, you know, or the second act, you know. Yeah, he he's that he, yeah. he could be that midpoint twist, like yeah, where he's. Luke Wilson is solving shit and like things are going well, but then upgrade mm-hmm. shows up and now we've got a different problem and it's personal. Even I was going to compare it to a potential Carrie Fisher and blues brothers, but even more bearing on the plot is welcome even with this upgrade yeah. uh, upgrade, so to speak. It's, I uh, like it. Yeah, we, there we go. We made a slightly better movie, <clears throat> although the, the cult audiences will tell us we're stupid. Oh yeah. They'll say, dude, it's perfect. You guys are morons. It's 84 minutes of uncut beauty. And even Mike Judge would agree it's a perfect movie. <laughs> I don't think he would. I really don't think Mike Judge would agree with that. Um, no. It's not his full vision. I I would I probably – I haven't really done too much research. We don't have a dossier or anything. But I bet there's like somewhere out there there's a bunch of footage that was cut out that could be put back in. And you could get some kind of director's cut, but that'll I don't think that'll ever, ever happen. Never. No, probably not. And if there's not any of that stuff, then it, it was literally just like you didn't have a budget big enough to even shoot any of that stuff mm-hmm. that would have helped flesh out the movie some more. They said um, that uh, word of mouth recouped its budget through home video sales, which is surprising because a lot of like and this was like the golden age of DVD, but. When if a, for a movie to do that well through its sales, is sales and rentals impressive. too like rent, renting yeah. DVDs was still a thing and um yeah I mean I I remember it being there and always getting rented. It was uh what I don't know what's 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 this movie about? You guys have idiocracy. Yeah, we do. Uh, idiocracy. Yeah, idiocracy. 
Idiocracy. Idiocracy. But uh, what's that movie where Luke Wilson's an idiot? <laughs> uh it it got negative test screening so like i guess i don't think the test audience has quite got it um which is a shame i think it does this but you know time is kind of the movie so there's that you know if you haven't seen the movie listeners i don't know why you would start here but i would i definitely recommend it it could be better but it could be a lot worse yeah if you listen to this episode and you thought, I don't like their idea better, then go ahead and watch Idiocracy and, mm-hmm. and you'll like what you got. That's right. This movie's almost 20 years old. That's crazy. <laughs> Time is fucked up. Yep. And and in 500 years, we're all going to be off the planet anyway. Um, but hey, that is that is Idiocracy from 20 six. Um, thank you for listening and uh, for uh, giving me an excuse to see this movie finally. I am not unhappy that I saw it, but that's all I can say about it. You can mark it off your bucket list. Have you seen the bucket list? No, I actually haven't seen the bucket list. Remember to mark watch the bucket list off our bucket list. <laughs> That's Siri, cross off watch the bucket list from my bucket list. That's uh, Stanley Tucci and Easy A. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, like Tucci. They're, they're like, as a family, they're like, they, you could tell they do this all the time in the context of the movie. Emma Stone, her little adopted, cute little black brother, and Patricia Clarkson and Stanley Tucci. It's family movie night. And the brother says... Every week you pick the movie, Dad. <laughs> like, it's really sad. Like, can you imagine that you always pick the movie? Oh, First God. of all, but his two options in the scene are The Bucket List, which is a depressing movie, or The Other Bolin Girl, which is a really sexual, like, <laughs> depressing. He goes, The Bucket List. I feel good about this. The Bucket List. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, I got excited. A little tooch break. Touch of the tooch. Touch of the I'm tooch. Sorry to steal from Blink Check there, but no. Oh, is it? Oh, I think I they know. say touch of the tooch on there. Yeah. Well, they say lots of things on there. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is it. Uh, that is going to be it for us this week. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with uh, one of our remaining 14, 13 yeah. episodes. I don't remember how many, but we're we're coming to the end here. We're getting down to our top ten. Our, our final ten list comes to us from my iPhone. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, that's it. I'm Jeremy Eden. I'm Dan Eden. That's a wrap. chocolate how can that be